0: Hello, it's Paul Scott here, enthusiastic commentator on UK small caps and getting less enthusiastic as each week goes by. Obviously, absolutely chaotic conditions on global financial markets again this week, which I'll come on to near the end. I'm going to try and keep today's podcast down to 30 minutes. So I'll rattle through the companies Graham and I covered in on the Stockopedia Small Cap Value Reports. Uh, Four-day week this week, week obviously because of the extra bank holiday on Monday. So on Tuesday, I looked at a gear, gear for music G4M. Now this is a long-standing stock that I followed um, since it floated. <clears throat> um, it put out a mild profit warning last week, and um, EPS is now basically almost down to zero. So the uh, it, it had a huge boost during the pandemic, but I didn't expect earnings to completely dry up subsequently which is what's happened so that's why the share price has lost so much of its value and also of course the e-commerce stocks at the moment nobody's interested they're just out of favor so we know some of them are going to be bargains long term but we don't know which ones now the bare case on gear for music is obviously that the earnings have now basically dried up um although revenue's you know reasonably okay still uh lowish gross margins um but the bear case is also, obviously, it's now got quite a lot of debt. It took on um, a fair bit of debt to buy um, AV.com and uh, something else. can't remember what. But anyway, unfortunately, it looks like that was rather ill-timed. Now, I'm not personally that concerned about the debt on Gear for Music because it's got very high inventories, and the inventories are not subject to fashion risk or, uh, you know, they don't go off. So I think, actually... The higher bank debt doesn't particularly worry me with gear for music. You know, they could run down inventories to generate cash if they need to. Um, And the bull case, obviously, is the market cap is now peanuts. And we've had two huge um multi-bagger runs with Gear for Music in the past. When it gets down to, I think it's actually lower now than it was at previous lows. Um, and yet the business is very much bigger. And uh I think I think Gear for Music looks interesting again. So that's on my watch list as something I'll probably be buying back into at some point in the future. I'm building up a list of buys at the moment. I'm not actually putting pushing the button on that uh, just yet. I think now's the time to be doing the research, coming up with all the ideas, so you can, you can act fast when it looks like a genuine turning point in the markets is happening. Uh, next one, STEM, uh, which is S3. Now, this company, it's a staffing company. It looks to be really, really, really uh, good, well-run business. Um, they put out another ahead of expectations update, which is really surprising, given that the economy is, is cooling. Um, <clears throat> Although I did detect just in the tone of the Outlook comments that they sounded a little bit more cautious. Um, I w- I'm wondering if we're sort of reaching peach, peak earnings on this one, possibly. Um, there's talk also of uh, recruiting more re- consultants... Internally, for the actual business itself, and that that obviously ad, adds to costs before it adds to profitability. I, I made uh, some comment in the Stockopedia report on Tuesday that it, they were overworking their staff or something. As I as I was writing it, I thought mm, that's probably not the right phrase, but I couldn't think of anything better. Anyway, an advisor contacted me and said I, I'd got the wrong end of the stick, and that they weren't overworked they were just um <clears throat> anticipating the additional costs of beefing up their their headcount ahead of the new hires generating revenue so happy to clarify on that point which i did in tuesday's report i went back and amended it because you know i'm perfectly happy to have a right for companies to have a right to reply if they think i've said something um unfair or inaccurate you know more than happy to set the record straight uh, if if where it's necessary. And um, so that was S3. Oh, now, interestingly enough, I do occasional CEO interviews, as you might know. And uh, my time's very limited on this because I cover about 500 companies. I can only really pick the odd one that I think is particularly good. So I approach companies if I want to interview them. And I don't charge anything because I take the view you can't be independent if you're charging. Although I accept you know, the, the the PR people have to have to own a crust. And, you know, I think particularly PI World, for example, are very, very good. Yes, they charge a fee to cover their professional production costs. And they are professionals. You can see that. Well, I know them. I know them well. So I know they're professionals. And, um, you know, and I think they still manage to 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 retain an independent uh, approach. So hats off to PI World. And of course, similar, I think, with with Mello as well. Um, Now, what are we saying? Oh, yes. So I'm going to be interviewing um, S3 in about uh, a week or two. So I'm looking forward to doing that um so i'll flag up when i've published the audio of that conversation so between now and then i've just got to try and think of something intelligent to ask the ceo <laughs> okay i mean the other thing i like with s3 is it's got a particularly good strong balance sheet and it's got a nice dividend yield and it's on a, a reasonable P E rating so i like that stock i don't have any personally but it's on my to buy list for some point in the future for when things stabilize graham on, on tuesday looked at java securities uh and uh, the vouchers company called appreciate which was in line and eve sleep now eve sleep eve uh, it's game over basically it's finished so they said they're going to run out of cash in october um they can't get a placing away so it's worth nothing. That one's finished. So let's forget about it unless some nutter comes in and buys it to do as a, to use as a cash shell or something. But, um, yeah, the equity is worth nothing with these sleep, I'm afraid, as things are looking now. On Wednesday. Um, now, interesting one, Zoo. I think it's Zoo Digital. Z-O-O. Now, I've followed this one for donkey's years, always been very sceptical because it's never generated proper profits or cash flows. It always quotes EBITDA. Um, but we think, both Graham and I think, this has reached an inflection point. It's certainly looking as if it has, uh, Zoo. The revenue growth was stunning. It was nearly 100%. And at that point, you are starting to see some operational gearing, although the gross margins are not really that big. Um, <clears throat> And so yeah, we think that one's clearly turned a corner now, and the share price has been pretty buoyant because people have latched onto that. I think the only caveat on Zoo is that I think it is dependent on this streaming boom in, in streaming services continuing, um, which is a little bit of a question mark. But for the for the, for the time being, anyway, Zoo Digital, yeah, looks looks pretty good to me. Uh, Moonpig M O O N I looked at now. I'm quite sceptical on Moonpig. I think it's it generates very nice margins, but the EBITDA figure is nonsense. So I, I went through the numbers and worked out that, uh, you know, um, when you take into account tax and interest payments, so it's got a fair bit of debt and uh, uh, development spend that they capitalise. Actually, the free cash flow is only about half of EBITDA. And I think it's taken on way too much debt. It's bought um, an experiences company, a bit something a bit like Red Letter Days, I think, where you can treat somebody to a day out in a hot air balloon or driving a fast car or something. I think they've overpaid for that acquisition. Um, and I think it's now taken them to quite an alarming level of net debt, which if you uh if 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 you start to allow for the fact that demand may well uh, may well soften because i mean i use moonpig to send nice things to family who who've just moved house or just had a baby or something uh but it's 50 to 70 quid a shot to send some a nice a personalized card with some flowers and maybe a bottle of champagne or something well that's the type of thing you know I mean, that's the ultimate discretionary spend isn't it where you might have to say, well, actually, um, I'm going to have to cut back on that sort of thing. So I think Moonpig quite could be quite vulnerable. So I'm even though I like the concept and I like the historical profits and cash flows, I, I'm nervous about Moonpig's balance sheet, which this this latest acquisition I think was a, a step too far. So I'm I'm wary of Moonpig as a result. Now um, we looked at Ten Entertainment Group TEG. Uh, which is a bowling alley operator. And I was pretty astounded, as I think the readers were, the Stockopedia readers in the comment section, uh, at how strong these um, interim results were. Now, the company's trump- trumpeting that it's now had a sort of step change in revenues, which is giving it um, a step change in profits, because it's got a lot of oper- operational gearing, and that it's an affordable treat. I think the broker commented that two bowling games, plus burgers and chips for, and a drink for four people, for a family costs sixty eight pounds, which doesn't break the bank, does it, and that's cheaper than a a meal out alone in most places, so it's interesting, isn't it? The bowling seems to be very popular at the moment, the ultimate well, not the ultimate, but a key form of discretionary spend that's holding up very well, and not just in the u k the broker also, I think it was Libram, very helpfully put out notes on Research Tree. So I'm very grateful for those. Thank you. Um, they also pointed out that there was a similar trend going on in America, uh, where bowling is 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 popular at the moment. Now, whilst I accept all that and that the shares look really really cheap and it's probably heading to beat the full year numbers because they look quite modestly set, uh, I do the just question though whether this new normal really is a new normal we we don't know yet i think there's probably still pent up demand which might last for for quite some time but i'm just a bit cautious about declaring that uh, or going along with the company's declaration that it's reached a new normal high level of revenue and profits i think the jury's out on that we'll have to wait and see but it certainly looks for now like a business that's performing extremely well that's teg next i looked at wand one disco now this is as far as you can get from a value share it's just, just just burning huge amounts of cash each year absolutely nowhere near profitability but something interesting is happening there the share price keeps going up and they keep winning big contracts. Now, they've really won a lot of new, big new contracts this year. But it's all with one client, a global top 10 telecoms company. Now, I suppose the bull case here is they're actually proving up that this software maybe is uh, as groundbreaking as they've always claimed. I mean, the counter argument was, well, it, it, hardly anyone's using it. So if it's such groundbreaking software, how does everyone else manage without it? But the fact that they've now obviously reached One Disco has really reached a breakthrough with this global telecoms company, but it didn't say how long the contracts were for. It gave the total dollar value of the contracts, but that's obviously going to be spread over X number of years, but we weren't told what X was, and it is only one client, but what a what a good reference client that is. So I think One Disco, for gamblers and for people who properly understand the sector, uh It looks quite interesting, but it's certainly nowhere near a value share. Next, I looked at Cambridge Cognition, COG, which I hold. I thought the interim results showed good growth, very good order book, lots of positive signs, but no profits. Now, okay, you could say it's very, very small. It's a growth company. They're building it up. Uh, I I was a little bit disappointed with just a break-even result. I was hoping for a bit better. But, you know, they're at that stage where they're just reinvesting um, the profits in, in growth. Uh, there's an argument for that. People don't tend to like that quite so much in bear markets, in bull markets, they lap it up. So anyway, Cambridge Cognition, it's it's got good structural long term drivers behind it. It's got plenty of cash in the bank. So uh, it's just a long term hold. But I, I, I don't see anything particularly exciting to make me want to buy more right now. So that's just I'm just holding for the long term. We'll see what happens. Now, Graham on the Small Cap Valley reports looked at Frontier Developments and AB Dynamics. As usual, I don't want to speak for Graham, so see Wednesday's report for those. Now, Thursday. I started off by looking at Begbie's trainer B E G. This is obviously a counter cyclical share at the moment, which is why it's it's riding high. Uh, still looks reasonably priced, actually. It's trading in line with expectations. The main business is insolvency practitioners, which is very high margin expert work, sort of uh, a cross between accountants and lawyers, and it really, really is highly technical. I've worked in a in a in in Price Waterhouse's insolvency department for about a year. Um, 31 years ago god that makes me feel old and it was fascinating the insights i got into insolvency work it's fiendishly complex basically and that's why it's high margin so anyway they're, they're obviously saying that things are looking good because for them because the more and more companies are starting to go into administration uh so yeah begbies are likely to have um I would say uh, uh, good good trading for, for several years. There's a lot of insolvency jobs um, drag on for, for, for a long time. So um, that's one part of the economy that's going to be uh, buoyant. FRP, FR Advisory, I think it's called FRP Advisory. That's the other listed insolvency practitioner. I notice its shares are also um, strong. Next, I looked at Hostmore Interims. Now, this is the I don't hold this one anymore. I only had a small position in the end but I've I've capitulated on a a whole bunch of stuff where I just had small positions in a spreadex account, you know the losses were just killing me because they were geared four or five times and i i've so i have given up on 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 the geared account it just i should i should have done that six months ago or a year ago, but never mind, i can't change the past so yeah, host more so I'm now looking at N saying, should I be buying back in well the interim figures from host more this is this is the one that runs t g i fridays on a on a franchise basis in the u k now <clears throat> the interim figures looked OK, but um, I'm not so keen on the um, the outlook, uh, the current trading rather, which is like for likes against the pre-pandemic level, a minus 14 percent. Now, what really worries me about that, of course, is that restaurants are so highly geared. You've got a gross margin of on food and drink of 75 to 80 percent. So if you're down 14 percent like for like at the revenue line, that means your gross profit will be down about 10 percent like for like, but most of your overheads are fixed. This is the big problem. So this is where you get your operational gearing um, really biting you on the behind, on the downside. And of course, operational gearing works beautifully uh, in, in the boom times. So really, it's a question now of whether Hostmore can survive. Um, now, I am concerned also about the, the level of bank debt, which is just too high, I think, given that um, uh, you know the business is now looking to probably be I think it's now operating at a small loss uh, and banks don't like having exposure to businesses that are loss making. Uh, Now the going concern statement did say that they even on a plausible downside severe but plausible uh, negative scenario they reckon they're still going to meet the bank covenants so Hostmore are reassuring on that. However, I have to say, I had a look at the FinCAP um, forecast. Again, many thanks for them for publishing that. Now, I think the 2023 calendar year forecast from FinCAP, to me, just look too ambitious. I, 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 I don't think they're realistic. So I think you could see a scenario um, where if there's not an economic recovery anytime soon, then I think Hostmore could become significantly loss-making. And at that point, I think it would potentially need a placing, which could be at a, quite a, a deep discount on a share price that's already completely bombed out. And it really um, would then be uh, hanging in the balance, I think. So I could see a downside scenario with Hostmore that looks pretty grim, actually. And for that reason, I'm I'm going to sit on the sidelines for now. Um, I think the upside case is obviously if it gets through and if the economy starts improving due to the economic stimulus announced in the mini budget last week, then a host could see trading start to improve. And, you know, from this level, you could have a multi bagger. So I could see it. I think there's a wide range of potential outcomes for hosts more from very grim to really very good. And I haven't yet really worked out. Which I think is the most likely. So I'm somewhere in the middle on that one. But I'll certainly continue watching it. And obviously, again, profuse apologies for me getting this one horribly wrong. I mean, the facts have just changed, though. I mean, a year ago, uh, the facts looked very, very positive, I thought. You know, you went through the numbers and you thought, well, this thing's very cash generative. Um, It's got a nice popular format. Uh, you know, everything seemed to be quite rosy when they demerged it. I mean, some people are saying, oh, typical private equity, you know, never buy anything they're selling. But that's not actually right because it was demerger from Electra private equity. It wasn't a sale of the company. And rumour has it that they turned down a cash bid for, for, for T- Hostmore that was um, over a pound a share. So, you know, they're, because they thought it was worth more on the on the private Oh, 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 sorry on the public market and at that point in time that looked a sensible decision but as I say the facts have dramatically changed the light like for likes are now heavily negative so you know when the facts change you change your point of view don't you so but again profuse apologies for getting that one disastrously wrong um, you know but I didn't predict that Putin was going to invade Ukraine and that we were going to have an energy crisis and the economies were going to uh, come under pressure, or that inflation was going to get into double digits. you know a year ago those all would have looked pretty unlikely events, but they 've happened, and we 're now um, seeing the damage that those things have done. Um, okay, I looked at Aquis markets again this um, the results came out now it 's got cash uh, and it made a very small profit. My only question mark over it is valuation. So I'm not saying it's a bad business or anything like that. I think a couple of people misinterpreted my comments uh, on Stockopedia about that. I'm just questioning the valuation, which seems to me too high. And thanks to the company for reaching out, by the way. Via an advisor, they asked me if I'd like a meeting with them. Um, I think at the moment I'll just watch from the sidelines because, you know, I, I just cover so many companies that I can't get to meet or speak to even a fraction of them. Otherwise, I I'd, I'd never have time to write the reports. Um, <clears throat> I do see that they've done a, a webinar on investor meet Company, though. So I'll have a look at the recording for that. I've got loads of them to watch, which is what I'm going to be spending Sunday afternoon doing. Now, Graham looked at Judges Scientific, I saw JDG. I see there was a significantly ahead update from them, which is really good, isn't it? We are seeing quite a lot of business-to-business business type shares still performing well and putting out good updates. So it's obviously the business-to-consumer business, business to consumer, uh, shares that are really getting smashed up at the moment. Uh, but there are plenty of other companies doing other things, non-consumer-related, that are actually uh, still doing okay. And Judges Scientific seems to be one of them. Now, Graham also looked at a couple of other things. One could call Pension B. Uh, and also Venture Life, which I think is VLG. So I see Thursday's report for that. Now, oh, sorry, before I forget, Thursday. Now I'm going to tantalise people here with uh, a little teaser, which I'm only doing this because I don't want to give away all our best ideas free to the internet when you know stockopedia are paying me to produce the small cap value reports they're behind a paywall and obviously i've had i've had a couple of subscribers moaning at me saying well look you're giving away all the information on on your podcast can't you hold something back just for stockopedia reporters uh, uh, readers subscribers rather so i'm going to call call these my mystery shares i should have a jingle shouldn't i for that so mystery share number one is in thursday's report this is a deep value high yielding share that I think looks very very tempting so see Thursday's report for that and it's not necessarily remember companies that reported on that day but sometimes I their catch-up items from uh, a few days beforehand or whatever so mystery share is in Thursday's report moving moving on to Friday uh, now mystery share number two do, 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 do is in Friday's report now this is my top pick for the week so again that's for, for for Stockopedia's describers on Friday a really nice value stroke garb share ok moving on to other things Revolution Beauty R E V B. now <clears throat> this is suspended of course uh, due to an accounting scandal all sorts of problems arose during the audit we've only been told vaguely what they are and we haven't been told the the, the likely size of these uh audit problems but it sounds the latest update from revolution beauty on thursday or friday just really uh it sounds like things are getting worse they now they've been told by the auditors they or advised by the auditors they need to do a uh have an independent forensic uh, investigation into the company and its accounts, which they're expecting now to take several months. So the suspension is obviously going to continue, and that sounds like it won't be cheap. Forensic accountants coming in, you know, will charge an arm. It's like an open checkbook, really, isn't it? Uh, but they do reassure, Revolution Beauty This is does reassure on liquidity. They've said they're well within the bank facilities and the banks remain, remain supportive. So I suppose the upside case here, here is that you get some... Uh, report in two months' time saying that the you know the the, the accounts departments are shambles and that you know the uh, uh, and then the company says oh we've appointed new a new team and they're going to do they've got a new CFO already so it's not not her fault but they've um, <clears throat> you know obviously need to sack a few people get rid of the bad eggs who it sounds like have probably been fiddling the figures in some way. Uh, or it could just be complete incompetence if you want to if you want to be charitable um <clears throat> but the main thing is as long as the bank remains supportive and the shares eventually come back onto the market we hope and then it probably has to do a placing or just i mean they've such massive inventories that even if a lot of it gets written down uh in to zero you probably still have plenty of inventories left that they can sell to raise cash so as things stand now based on the information we've had i don't think revolution beauty is necessarily bust but um you could also envisage a scenario where uh somebody like mike ashley comes in and says to the bank i'll buy the, the debt off you for 16 million and then he just puts it into receipt th- then just demands uh the money back and puts it into administration buys it for a quid so I think there's also, uh, or maybe Boohoo might do something similar. They took an equity stake just before it got suspended, obviously knowing that the uh, that the company was in trouble because it had already publicly said it was probably going to suspend the shares at the end of August. So I could see plenty of scenarios unfolding where Revolution Beauty shares end up worth nothing. But there's nothing you can do about it if you hold them now anyway because it's suspended. So there we are. Now I look at In the Style, ITS, um, it's obvious from that trading update, it wasn't really a trading update because it didn't say anything about trading. <clears throat> it just said they're really running the business for cash now, trying not to run out of money. Um, I think it's very difficult to actually see how the equity is worth anything there, because I don't think it's an e-commerce business selling it's not quite in the fast fast fashion market it's it's serving a slightly older customer than uh boohoo or pretty little thing or misguided or all those people so so for example one of um, in the styles uh influences is the delightful stacy solomon who i think is uh, a great laugh and great fun so now obviously she's not going to command the same sort of uh, fees as some of the uh some of the people like kim kardashian i think boohoo is paying money to uh pretend that its products <laughs> are uh are very uh eco-friendly and um Anyway, so, so I, In The Style does have a bit of point of difference, but I really struggle to see how the equity is worth anything as, to, as things stand now. Although supply chains with the Far East are easing, and um, this means that for a lot of these companies, margins could actually start to improve. So who knows? I don't know. But to me, In The Style, I don't really see that that's a particularly viable business, and I don't think, for example, it'll, it's likely to ever pay any dividends. So if you're not going to get any dividends from the shares... Are they really worth anything? Hmm. I don't think so. Probably not. Now, I looked at works, the works, W-R-K-S. Now, this has split opinion in the investor community. Now, there's no doubt the figures were really good. They just published numbers. I think it was for April 22 year end. But, and that caused a huge increase in the share price. I think it was up about 35% on a day when global markets were absolutely crashing. But the trouble is with works, if you look at the forecasts, it put out a profit warning in August for the new financial year. And the forecast is that profits are basically pretty much going to disappear this year, because EBITDA, I think they've signaled as nine million, but that translates into adjusted profit before tax of very, very little. So. uh, I'm 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 still skeptical on WRKS, and I don't think the up, the update actually really changed anything. If you've been paying attention and reading the forecasts and the previous updates, nothing's actually changed. But people must have just looked at the numbers and said, "Oh, fantastic results! It's really profitable." Blah blah blah. But the the deeper you dig into it, obviously those profits are a bit of a one-off, I think. And business rates in particular has been a huge support to uh, the PNL. Uh, now, the balance sheet on works is actually OK. I looked at the balance sheet. They've got a big deficit on the IFRS 16 lease entries, which I think you know shouldn't be there at all. But it does flag up to you that they've got quite a few loss-making shops, as I would expect for a, a big chain that overall is only just above break-even. You can pretty much guarantee that means they've got a lot of loss-making shops, which the big deficit um, on the balance sheet entries confirms to us but if you but obviously you know there shouldn't be anything to do with leases on the balance sheet unless they're onerous leases so I would just get wipe out all the IFRS 16 entries and the balance sheet then actually looks fine and I think its liquidity is okay it's got an adequate cash pile although obviously um, an April year end means um, you've got the two you're two months away from your big cash outflows on Rent quarter date and VAT payment date. So, uh, the, it's a fairly significant size business. So, cash figures can move around a lot intra month, and you've got to remember the balance sheet is only a snapshot on one day, which is often window dressed for for the accounts. Perfectly legally, there's nothing wrong with window wind dressing. Every every good uh, CFO should window dress the balance sheet to look as good as you can make it look. Uh, now, made uh, made dot com. This is the on online only furniture thing. I'm afraid again similar to eve sleep i think it's game over with made now i was the reason being and the figures are quite it's withdrawn uh, it's current year guidance now the last guidance given it, it equated to an 880 eight million pound loss in the current year they're now saying they're trading below that so this is a catastrophic situation you know there's no and they've basically said that it's not going to be possible to do a placing of sufficient size to, to to keep it going. So the institutions have said no to replacing very clearly. So they're only they're now considering all other options, raising debt. Forget it. I don't think that'll be possible. Who's who's going to want to to lend to a business that whose own shareholders are not prepared to prop it up because it's making such heavy losses. Now it also gave very very interesting figures on how it's really the cost of freight um, that has killed the business. I think they said. Uh, that their freight costs had gone up, I think they said from 8 million a year to 35 million a year. Now, bear in mind, this is a business with revenues of only just over 200 million-ish. So you can see that that level of freight costs, for that's about what 17% of revenues or something, that they're paying just to ship the goods from the Far East into the UK. Plus, they've then got increased carriage costs actually getting the goods to the customer in the UK. So I'm sorry to say, I think MADE, M-E-D-E, is probably just weeks or, or a few months away from administration. There's no value in the equity, in my view. If they think that somebody's going to want to buy it or merge with it, they're living in cloud cuckoo land. Although it depends how quickly... The, uh, the costs could be cut even further. Obviously, they're, they're cutting costs to to keep going. But ultimately, if, if if directors continue operating a business when they which they know is insolvent, they become personally liable for the business's debts. Uh, this is why companies call in administrators when it's quite clear that there's no other option because they don't want to get done for trading whilst insolvent. Uh, and although made probably still has some cash in the bank it's running out so fast that I think it's you know the directors are almost certainly going to have to conclude I think probably very very soon that the business is is insolvent and or shortly to become insolvent and at that point they have to call in administrators so I think um, now I look back on, on this one to see when it was we rang the alarm bell on it I don't want to get all cocky and I told you so about it because anybody can can say that they call things correctly if they were bearish on pretty much any share a year ago because practically everything's dropped but made uh, on made.com I look back at the SCVR archives in February 22... I commented that I thought it was an interesting concept, uh, but the abrupt departure of the CEO could indicate that there's more bad news to come. Now, in May 22, I reported that there was a severe profit warning. But because the company still has plenty of cash, uh, that I wasn't concerned about insolvency. So now that obviously got quickly overtaken by events because... Uh, in july twenty two I really rang that's when I rang the alarm bells, but you know even that it 's only what two, two, three months ago. Uh, another profit warning, and the guidance was worsened to an 80 million loss for the year, which I had to work out for myself because they only quoted EBITDA, which didn't sound anywhere near as bad. But, I, but it then became clear that it was rapidly running out of cash and the company was hinting at that it was going to need to do a placing. So that was the point, July 22, when there were 38.5p, a share, that I really shouted from the rooftops, uh on this one saying um well I, I gave it uninvestable and when I, what do I mean when I come when I say a share is uninvestable well it's basically my code for saying that I think it's going to go bust or that it's in such uh in such high danger of going bust that it's going to need to raise cash and there's a good chance and of course raising cash from a position of weakness the institutions just name the price. I've been involved in a few placings and it's all down to a few key major institutions. They tell the broker what price they're prepared to pay. And that is then the placing price. And it all depends whether they still believe in management, whether they want to protect the value of their existing shares or whether they just say, OK, if we're going to refinance this crop. We want to just dilute everyone else out of sight. So you're completely in the hands of the big institutional shareholders with these things. And that's what I mean when I say something's uninvestable. It means just get the hell out of there. And we 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 called to made.com uninvestable in July. Um, and it's really quite shocking to me how rapidly things unraveled at this company. Uh, so I think there's definitely a learning from that, isn't there? That if things are starting to go wrong with companies, given the macro position, position currently, you know, there's a really good chance that they could rapidly spiral out of control. Um, So I think that's one of the lessons I'd take from from uh, made.com, that it's too early to be anticipating turnarounds um, and that once the first signs of trouble emerge, it's probably best to just run for the hills, isn't it? OK, I'll take a little break now and I'll come back in a moment with some market commentary in a, after a very, very turbulent week. OK, so we've gone way over 30 minutes already. So uh, now a, a good tip from a reader, if you find these podcasts too fast, is to, too long, is to listen to them at 1.5 times speed, which actually works quite well. Um, I found, I experimented myself, I found if I went up to 1.8 times or 2 times speed, it just sounds like an episode of Pinky and Perky. So... <laughs> but one and a half times does work. I think you've got to separate the domestic factors and the international factors. I was listening to some American commentators, for example, complaining that the dollar has now reached a 20-year high, so the dollar's very strong against practically all other currencies. And they're also complaining about the Fed raising interest rates far too aggressively, <clears throat> and with a two-year Treasury yield now at 4% in the U.S., Um, fairly similar in the UK, I believe, then people are saying, why buy shares? You know, the trouble, this is the problem, wasn't it? We all assumed that interest rates would stay low forever. Well, um, the Fed currently seems to be uh, in a sort of headlong dash to display its machismo by uh, raising interest rates aggressively. And I think it's becoming more clear by the day that this is a, a big policy error. And it's causing chaos in forex markets as well, of course. So um, now the Japanese intervened to support the yen for the first time since 1998 uh, last week, this week just gone. So there are big international factors going on here. So I think you've got to remember that rather than blaming everything on on, um, the UK mini budget, although obviously that that dropped sterling sharply on Friday by about 5%. So that certainly hasn't helped. But bear in mind, um, over 90% of the flows within forex markets are speculators so when they talk about market sentiment you you are these things are being ju- judged by speculators that's why they're so volatile um i read somewhere only about three percent of trades on forex markets actually relate to uh, the sale and purchasing of goods and services then you've got investment flows but the vast bulk of it is is, is speculative that's why you get these sort of zigzag movements on currencies don't you because of uh, dollar strength I tend to look at the exchange rate between the pound and the euro for a better indication of how things are going and a pound is currently 1 euro 12 now in the last what is it since 2009 when there was a big depreciation of sterling uh, the dollar you uh, sorry pound to the euro has traded in a range of between 107 to 120 so we're currently pretty much in the middle of that range slightly below there've been two periods where it went where the pound was much stronger but it then came back down again so i don't think there's any particular cause for alarm on sterling at the moment but it's certainly uh, a bit worrying isn't it so we'll see what happens on that now the mini budget i took notes as quasi quatango was speaking and then i published those uh, immediately on stockopedia so we were one of the first Places to report on it. Now, personally, obviously, I'm right of centre on uh, of uh, on my politics, but um, I think I'm more. You know, nobody's interested in the politics of it. We're looking at the economics of it. Uh, to me, uh, I think a lot of what they're doing just looks completely sensible. The energy support package is exactly what I was calling for here uh, over the last several months. That you have to cut the energy bills at source and that way you stop inflation turning into a hyperinflation so what they've done on that is undoubtedly the best way to do it now i've got an interesting point on this actually because i follow wholesale electricity and gas prices every day and the uh, per kilowatt hour electricity wholesale is currently just over 40 pence now i got a, a, a an email bill from shell energy who, who took over the uh, company that i got my 100 renewable electricity from who went bust i think they were called blue planet well anyway the uh rate then that they moved all the, the, the blue planet customers to shell without us having any say so in it so it's not a proper market at all at the moment because you haven't got any choice about your, who your supplier is uh so anyway but the latest bill i've had from um from shell which incorporates the current uplift to the maximum that it's going to get to for two years they're charging me at just over 40 pence per kilowatt hour now the point I want to make on that is that that, that approximates to what the current wholesale price is so therefore I imagine I've not read this anywhere but it's just a deduction on my part if the wholesale cost of electricity uh, remains at sort of 40 pence or less then that could mean that the government cap for households anyway could end up co- costing very very little if anything Um, I don't know what, uh, it's effectively a cost plus arrangement now, I suppose, isn't it, with electricity providers. So I don't know what the cost plus element is. What would that be? I don't know, maybe 10%, 20%, I don't know. So... um, look you know we have to watch these things we it could fan out in a whole range of different outcomes that's the thing with everything at the moment isn't it but if uh, one of the one of the positive outcomes could be that the energy cap for households may not end up costing that much actually um but obviously if we have another huge spike in energy costs then it could cost a fortune um i think quasi quartang said it was going to, the estimated cost was 60 billion uh, for the next six months, for October 22, which I think includes the um, the business support. I don't think that was just... Looking back on my notes here, I don't think that he specified whether that was households or business, or but it's most likely to be both, I imagine. But he did then say after that six months, the costs would then come down because, of course, they're renegotiating, the government's renegotiating, the, the contracts with the electricity generators. So... If that goes well, then the costs are not going to be linked to wholesale prices anymore, which is surely um, the outcome that we need. We need just a complete reform of this market, which is what they're trying to do. So there are are positive things there. I think as well, these so-called unfunded tax cuts that the government are making are not actually tax cuts. Most of them are just cancellation of planned increases. If you remember, uh, Rishi Sunak came out with his bizarre package of measures to put corporation tax up from 19% to 25% and with a high on national insurance uh, and ease. Um, why he did that, I have no idea. I think it was completely the wrong point in the cycle to start tightening. Uh, so I'm really pleased that Kuateng's cancelled those um, tax rises, which are not, as I say, most of them are not actually tax cuts, although he has brought forward a cut from in in basic rate. I'm just recording. He's he's brought forward the cut in income tax basic rate from 20% to 19% by a year. So that's going to hit people's pay packets positively uh, this April coming. So that's all quite good. But obviously, everyone's asking, where's the money coming from? And that's possibly one of the reasons that spec... Well, it's not possibly. It is one of the reasons why speculators are pushing um, the pound down. It dropped about five cents against the euro... Uh, on Friday when this announcement came out, Um, which of course gets people speculating, will the Bank of England have to do another rate rise to protect sterling? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see, won't we? One thing that does perplex me about the mini-budget is that you've got a big um, uh, stimulus through these tax cuts and so on, or tax rise cancellations. Uh, that's obviously designed to stimulate the economy. The, um, but then on the other hand, you've got the Bank of England raising rates because they said they've got to get inflation under control. It just doesn't make sense. You've got the government and the Bank of England pulling in opposite directions. I think the truth is that the Bank of England is being forced to raise interest rates because the Americans are aggressively raising. And that would call, cause speculative flight of capital out of Britain into America, wouldn't it? Uh, so they haven't really got any, any choice on that i know a lot of left wing commentators and people on twitter seem to be obsessed with this concept of trickle down economics which is a an outdated and disproven really uh, uh, theory because obviously if you give money to poor people they spend a the lot and it, you immediately get a return from that from the recycling effect you collect in more ta- other taxes things like vat and payroll taxes as uh, business Improves and so so you do get a payback. Some people, an article in the Telegraph reckoned it was as much as seventy five percent of of the recycled tax you get back in other taxes. Obviously, p- poorer people live hand to mouth and will spend a lot as soon as you give it to them uh, every month. Whereas you know, the the richer people who get um, who get uh, uh, tax cuts. Very often hoard or invest the money, and probably wouldn't you know, might spend on some luxuries. But I think this idea of trickle down economics is pretty discredited. And to be fair, uh, it's only the left that are obsessed with this. I've not heard anyone on the right advocate trickle down economics for, for donkeys' ears. So anyway, um, the uh, but but you can look at the London economy where a lot of people are paying a top rate tax, the forty five percent benefit dropping suddenly back to 40 percent is going to is going to put a lot of money into people's pockets and london is already booming i mean i'm up here at the moment and i'm amazed how busy the bars and restaurants are pretty much all the time although you have seen friday night shifted to thursday night because a lot of people are still working from home but there's no sign in london of this being an economy in recession It's full of american tourists of course as the pounds cheap uh Uh, Even though the Bank of England is saying we're only in a a technical recession, I think 0.1% negative for two consecutive quarters, but that's very different to being in in an economic slump, and I don't see any evidence around me of the economy um, being in trouble, actually. Although we are seeing in outlook comments now coming through from companies, some of the consumer-related ones are saying, yes, people are beginning to rein in their spending. Uh, but it tends to be the weaker companies with the weaker formats I think that are saying that and obviously shares where you've got funding concern concerns are getting absolutely slaughtered so it's really important at the moment I think to be doubly sure about the balance sheet strength of all the companies we're in. Now David Blanchflower came out with some very interesting stuff on a on one of the news bulletins and I'm only regurgitating um, other people's commentary here I, I don't I don't believe that my view is any better than anyone else's. Now, he pointed out that um, inflation is already set to rapidly recede in 2023 for factors that are well known. Uh, you've got supply chains easing, the cost of freight from the Far East is absolutely plummeting, um, and just because the dollar's strong, Uh, It's strong against everything. So uh, I notice against the the yuan, the Chinese or the renminbi or whatever it's called, the Chinese currency, the dollars are strengthened by, I can't remember the figures now, but it's quite a bit, it's over 10%. So therefore, the Chinese factories are going to convert into dollars, but the, the British buyers could negotiate a lower dollar price because the domestic ch- producers' costs are in, are in are in Chinese currency. So it wouldn't necessarily, then, when it's converted back to sterling, wouldn't necessarily be a substantially higher price. You know, a canny buyer of goods from China should be uh, taking into account these, these two-way forex uh, things. So it may not necessarily... And the price of oil, of course, is coming down quite significantly. So even though it's priced in dollars, it's still lower than it was. And you're getting all these things starting to feed through now into into lower inflation. So in a way, maybe the mini budget, maybe they should, would have been better postponing it uh, until next early next year when they could have said, look, inflation's already peaked. In the UK, it's now expected to peak at 11% in October and then fall quite substantially and quite rapidly in 2023. So do you need interest rates to trigger a recession in order to deal with inflation that's already set to fall rapidly and considerably it just doesn't make sense what the fed is doing and they're forcing everyone else to follow suit otherwise your currency collapses if you don't follow uh, the fed with higher interest rates but anyway da- david blanchflower they call him danny blanchflower I don't know after some footballer he was saying uh he thinks the uk should be cutting interest rates um and that groupthink has taken hold whereby people think you have to raise interest rates to combat inflation, which actually isn't necessary because it's an inflationary spike that's already showing signs of, um, of, of 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 being corrected by natural forces. You know, consumers are spending less, wages are rising less than inflation. Those are the sort of things that cause inflation to fall naturally. You don't need interest rate, rate hikes to combat inflation in the current situation. Uh, I think he's right on that. Um, but look, who do I know? People say, oh, well, don't the experts... No, more than you, Paul. And I think, well, <laughs> tell that to people who've studied the Fed for, for, for decades. They, your Policy mistakes is their normal mode, mode, mode of, modus operandi. And the, the truth is within economics, it's guessworks. And the more expert you are and the more theories you've absorbed, you know, I think the more prone you are to make errors. I think actually just common sense people with a bit of business experience can usually cut through all the crap and, 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 and see what's going on. That's what I try to do anyway, but obviously, you know, looking back in a year's time, it will probably sound laughably wrong, because it always is. Nobody can predict the future. So anyway, what else have you got? Oh, yeah, now, another issue with higher inflation is when I went to Zimbabwe a few years ago when they had a about a a, a another bout of hyperinflation beginning um, – a lot of people was, were spending their cash to get big projects done, like on home improvements, because they just said, look, we don't want to hold cash. We actually want to get rid of the cash because we know it's going to be worthless again fairly soon. And that actually stimulated economic activity. I thought that was quite an interesting point. And obviously, as we know, um, when the economy slows, weaker companies tend to fail And then good growing companies do better. I think we're seeing that, for example, with some sector comparisons. Revolution Beauty, uh, you know, has has fallen over disastrously, it seems. Um, But um, a a sector peer, uh, Wallpaint, W7L, it seems to be trading quite well. Another sector comparison, Fulham Shaw restaurants is trading well and expanding rapidly. Whereas Small, unfortunately, um, which we've spoken about before, is trading very badly. And I think it's the case, isn't it, where consumers have a limited amount of money to spend. We go for value for money. Um, and uh, it's only really in recessions that you see uh, which are the stronger formats and which aren't. I've got to stop now as we're out of time. Thanks for listening. Bye.